Nothing discussed with Brian Tali Sion in this conversation is meant to diagnose or treat any condition or takes the place of talking with your own healthcare professionals. Aloha, everyone, and welcome to another conversation from anxiety to clarity. I'm Beth Ann Kozlovich from Sutter Health Kahimohala. And as you probably know by now, if you've been listening, this is a project of uh, a whole bunch of us, actually three of us, myself and Trisha Kajimura, my colleague at Sutter Health Kahimahala, and Evan Leong and the Leong family, uh, Coco Leong, who always does our engineering for us from Brain Gain Hawaii. So there's our bunch of folk who are bringing you these conversations to hopefully help all of us understand what's happening as we are all dealing with a world of COVID-19 and what that means for us individually, what that means for us collectively, and how we can move forward in uh, this very, very uncertain time, which looks like it's going to be extending for a very uncertain time. So what has happened in the week since we were all together last? Well, we had five deaths in the state, and we also saw a case count rise by over 100. At the same time, we heard from the governor that uh, we're going to see the quarantine extended for Trans-Pacific visitors until the 1st of September. At least that's the way it looks now. Who knows what will happen as we get closer to that date, as people were quite ready for, or some people, particularly tourism, quite ready for the August 1st date. And of course, that changed a few weeks out as we're now in the middle of July. We've also heard that there's quite a kerfuffle happening with the school opening with those who say that having school open on the 4th with some of the way in which the DOE has presented it is not to their liking. Teachers who are concerned, the HSTA, which is concerned. So we'll see if school opens on August 4th. Also, we've heard that for university students coming into the state, there will be a quarantine for them, but they'll be allowed to go to class. And uh, if they are able to produce a negative test, then that will mean that they will not have to be in quarantine. But that's the only part of it that we've heard about. Nothing more about a 72-hour test that would mean that a Trans-Pacific visitor would be able to uh, skip quarantine. That's happening. And also on the economic front, we heard from Uhiro with a report saying that it will likely be 2029 before we see the unemployment rate go to its pre-COVID state. Not very happy news, but Things change, and we hope that maybe that somewhat pessimistic view, although some may believe it's realistic, may also be something that may be mitigated in the future. Some of those of us who are optimists are hoping for that. So that's the background. That's where we see ourselves now. Um, there will also uh, be some, some screenings and things happening at the airport for other people as they come in with thermal screenings and facial recognition, all of that set to roll out from uh, the end of this month through the end of the year. And we will see how that mitigates the tourism situation and the economics. So a lot of things to make a lot of people anxious. And that's one of the reasons why we're going to talk today to the head of Mental Health America of Hawaii, Brian Palisayan, and he joins me now. Aloha, Brian. Good morning. How are you? Good to talk to you. Now, Mental Health America of Hawaii has been one of the front runners in, in putting out a lot of very good information along with NAMI Hawaii to help people through this time. And you in particular, I'm thinking about uh, the fact that you joined Mental Health America of Hawaii in just the time right before we shut down the state. So you're really having a trial by fire with something that you know 
a great deal about personally I mean, doing anxiety. And you've told me it's okay for us to talk about that. So we will in just a little bit, because I think that would sure. be helpful for other people to know too. And with full disclosure, I'm a board member of Mental Health America Hawaii. So I want to thank you from both sides of the coin for being willing to do this. So let's talk a little bit as you've just been in your position now for, for several months sure. and trying to help people to cope with this. What are you hearing from those who are calling Mental Health America? And what do you see as being the best advocacy that you've been able to do through this time with COVID? Sure. Um, you know, as you know, um, or like you mentioned, rather, we had me come on board literally just a couple of weeks before everything shut down. And uh, so basically all I've really known is the pandemic and um, working on some administrative stuff that we also started at that same time. And throughout this time, you know, I have to admit at first when the shutdown started, my primary goal was to make sure the organization stayed whole. Um, to make sure that the, the staff are continued uh, on with their employment and, and, and safe as well. Um, you know, throughout that time, we have got quite a few comments, um, requests for help. We do have a, a, a phone line that we offer, um, sort of like navigation services to people who call. And for the most part, it's been surrounding confusion. You know, there's not a whole lot of information, particularly in the beginning. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of information on, on what's going on, what services were still available, uh, what services were now being offered uh, remotely, uh, particularly with mental health uh, services. You know, telehealth is something that's been developing over the last few years. And, and, you know, I think for a lot of organizations, they've been forced into telehealth now because of the pandemic, which in a way is a little bit odd, but at the same time is great. You know, it, it's, it's, it's removing an additional barrier to mental health services, but at the same time, a lot of our consumers are not uh, um, used to receiving services in that way. So, so we've been seeing a lot of that confusion, increased concern, um, wanting more information on, on services and, and what to do in certain situations. We have not seen a whole lot of increase in referrals to the crisis line, um, um, uh, um, but just more requests for, for direction and guidance and a lot of calls just to um, kind of debrief on the situation. Brian, with those requests, were they coming from people who were looking for information for themselves or for other people in their families or their friend circle? It's a combination, actually. We had quite a few people calling on behalf of their brothers, sisters, uh, children. Um, you know, and as we get these calls, Beth, and we, we try to develop, um, you know, we significantly increase our social media presence uh, immediately upon a quarantine. And uh, we try to be responsive to those uh, types of requests. We, you know, people were calling about their children. So we created a, a group on our Facebook called Busy Bees specific to children. And uh, it's really cute. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it was a combination of both. And, and we even had uh, professionals who were also calling on behalf of their clients. We've heard from some mental health professionals that they are seeing more people who are first timers than they have in a very, very long time. Is there any way that you've been able to keep track of those who are calling Mental Health America for the first time? Uh, not, not through our phone, but we do offer online screenings. And through those screenings, it's, it's, uh, we're an affiliate of Mental Health America on a national level, and they offer these online screenings, and we're able to collect data specific to our community. 
um, and we don't have the latest data there, but we are reading um, a lot of people who are getting um, uh, first-time diagnoses with anxiety disorders as a result of the pandemic, and we believe uh, or expect that it's going to get much, much worse um, as time goes on. You know, we've heard also, and we've talked about with many people, even before the pandemic, but certainly exacerbated and, 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 and put into hyperspace by the pandemic, that we're going to see a mental health wave. Yeah. Are you beginning to see now just the very beginnings of that now that we've been in, into a pandemic situation here in Hawaii for, you know, four or five months? Four or five months, yeah. Uh, we are, actually. And what we're noticing is that um, a lot of this is coming from frontline workers. So it's, this, it's a huge community out there that hasn't really had a chance to begin to cope yet with their own mental health and mental wellness. And um, so we anticipate that a lot of it will come from that community, those working in hospitals, those working in banks, um, from physicians, medical assistants, um, and even transportation providers. You know, we consider those all frontline workers and, and there haven't been a lot of services specific to them, but there has been a huge burden and demand on their services. That's, that's rather surprising because, I mean, we've seen lots of memes, we've seen social media, we've seen yeah. programs, even, you know, commercials that are trying mm -hmm. to highlight the mental health burden on first responders. Yeah. And yet, from your perspective, you don't think that they're really getting services either at their place of employment or just in general? I don't. I don't. I think um, people are greatly appreciating the efforts that they're putting forth and that the risks that they're taking and the sacrifices that they're making. But I think a significant amount of effort needs to be put into place to start helping those uh, people working in those industries start to cope with their own mental health and mental wellness. You know, when we were talking to some of the mental health professionals specifically about children mm -hmm. a lot of their concern was about how children are processing the pandemic and what the long-term effects of that may be so i think when, you, when we talk you know first responders people really kind of get it they're there they're being smacked by the pandemic yeah. day after day after day trying to give service to the rest of us and then we don't so much focus on the fact that we have a lot of kids who have been out of school for a very long time, not with their peer group, maybe lucky enough to be able to be doing Zoom, but yeah. that says that they have connectivity and a family, exactly. you know, where that's possible for a lot exactly. of kids that hasn't been possible. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, you know, mental health wave that you see coming, that a lot of us see coming, yeah. uh, that long-term effect on kids, even the short-term effect on the kids, but especially what that will mean as they move through their adolescence and into adulthood and what they will carry with them as, as experiences from, from the pandemic may be yeah. really, really difficult to move through for, for them and for us as a society. Do you see that Mental Health America is specifically placing any attention on, on that part of, of children in the pandemic aside from the cute busy bee? I know that's so adorable that that you put out, but, but really looking at this with a longer lens? Yes, we um, have been trying to find ways to uh, adapt some of our trainings specific to, to youth and children uh, so that they're able to be provided in a safe manner remotely, whether it's through their classroom or through their homes. Um, but you're absolutely right, Beth, and I think, you know, it feels like this pandemic happened so suddenly 
uh, during spring spring break for most kids, and you know they um, didn't get to say goodbye to their friends, and uh, and there's a, a grieving process. We notice a lot of um, parents who are involved in our, our, our social media and stuff commenting on how it seems like their kids were going through a grieving process, and it probably was. You know, it's it's um, it's a challenge, and and you know uh, for people are kids who are developing. I think they get a lot of their connectedness from school from their classmates you know and there's a huge element of connectedness that i believe is now missing from their lives so we are actively developing things that we can um provide across all stages of life you know it's not just kids and, and adults but the seniors who are isolated as well um you know we're trying to find ways to provide access to those communities you know it, with children i promise we'll talk about Kapuna uh, in a second, but sure. especially for the kids looking at this time of development, because it's not just what's happening to them and then trying to be able to to mitigate that, but you're really talking about their development that's happening at the same time Absolutely. and how this is integrating into that and how it's potentially changing how Absolutely. they're developing and what Absolutely. that means going forward. Uh, what do you see that, if you, if you do, that that schools and social services and others are going to have to do to be able to help with that social emotional growth as we go forward from whatever may happen with this school year if they have a school year that looks in any way like a, a regular school year but especially because they're going to be many of them having to, to talk to each other the same way we are now sure um you know i think it's it's difficult to say because we're we're seemingly not even anywhere near out of this pandemic quite yet but I think you know and 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 I think uh, the schools have been doing a great job of it already is 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 trying to normalize the process of things that are happening especially using masks uh, for protection of themselves and others um, and celebrating everything that they possibly can you know I think for a lot of kids who are graduating from sixth grade or eighth grade or seniors in high school they miss out on a great um, event in their lifetimes that they won't be able to get to replay um, ever again, you know, and, and I think the schools um, and families as well did a great job at making sure that even though we were isolating, we were able to celebrate that success in their life. And I think celebrating those types of events that are significantly different now than what they used to be um, is, is very important, is very, very important, you know, and I'm not a clinician, so it's hard for me to speak on what would be best for improving the developmental processes of kids in schools. Um, but I, I know from a personal standpoint that those celebrations are very meaningful. Um, you know, even my nephew had recently graduated and, and I, I, I mentioned to him that I wish there was something even more special that we could do. And, and he, he kind of laughed and he said, well, pandemic is pretty special. And he was right. It is. It is very yeah, significant. Exactly. You know, And I, I thought that was a great way, a great attitude for him to have on that. Um, but at the same time, I don't think he understands the scope of what actually going through a graduation, wearing the cap and gown, walking through, hearing your name announced, you know, in front of hundreds of people um, is a very important event in our lives, you know, and I think um, I appreciated his, his attitude on that. But at the same time, I think it's, it's still a loss for many people, you know. It's sort of a, a two-sided coin as, as much of this is. You've got loss and grief on one hand. Absolutely. And then you've got a great deal of resilience and personal growth Absolutely. on the other. Yes. And watching some of the very creative ways in which people are celebrating all kinds of events and not just through Zoom meetings and being able to gather everybody 
you know, mm-hmm. virtually, but just the, the great creative things that they're doing in, in very large, some cases, you know, having everybody parade past the house in a car and wave with their mask on, or just being able to do small things at home that are making a child feel special where people really Absolutely. know who their children are. But again, this is presuming that a child is in a household where yes. this kind of thing would be possible, where this kind of uh, really intimate knowledge of, of a child's needs and wants are being taken into account. And that uh, there are people to act on those things. We've got a lot of kids who aren't. And for many in the community, I know, including with Mental Health America, being very concerned for kids who are, are not so fortunate to be in households like that. How do you see the the role of Mental Health America, especially in Hawaii now, dealing with these families where, where kids are, are very much on their own, where families are maybe falling apart, uh, where they're homeless, where there are so mm-hmm. many other issues coming at these kids that it's not the kind of conversation that we were having a moment ago, but really it's a matter of survival. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's going to be through collaborative efforts, Beth. And I think we are going to have to really rethink our service structure at Mental Health America of Hawaii so that we can make an even more direct impact. You know, unlike many of the other nonprofit organizations that we partner with, we don't yet provide direct services straight to the community. Most of our services are advocacy. Um, um, others are, are training, but, you know, we provide mental health first aid training, we provide um, youth suicide and bullying prevention training to schools, and um, I think we're going to have to look at our organizational structure to make sure that we are, are being a benefit um, to our collaborative partners who are in need of possibly technical assistance in reaching out to these uh, communities mm-hmm. um, or more at-risk youth. Uh, partnering with with state agencies as well as um, the community health centers who um, are are reaching out very closely to the homeless or at risk for homeless uh, communities that have a lot of children in those families. Mental Health America of Hawaii very much is a convener in in lots of ways. Absolutely. It's also a conduit for other services or being able to direct people to other services. So in both of those functions, how would you like to see the value added, you know, come to, to Mental Health America of Hawaii in exactly the ways that you've, that you've talked about now, but what specifically would you like to see Mental Health America of Hawaii do to be able to better serve our community? Uh, you know, before the pandemic, um, we were about to start a process of going through a needs assess- assessment to find what um, gaps there were in the service industry uh, related to mental health services. And we never got to start that process. And I think we would have to go through a similar process now because everything is significantly different from it was then, even, you know, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more gaps identified. Um, but we are seeing a lot more organizations who are providing direct services in need of technical assistance and adapting to um, um, working remotely and adapting to providing services remotely or even collecting data on current trends. And I I think that would be a first start for us, a good start for us. And various trainings that you'd like to see change or, or be added, what would you like to see happen there? So we are actually working on our mental health first aid training, which is a very important training for adults and youth. Um, and we are about to have all of our staff credentialed and, and trained in providing that service remotely. 
um, and we're hoping to start that in, in, in um, um, July, later July, and we are finalizing the process of, of our um, youth suicide and bullying prevention training. We'd like to expand that significantly as well um, to kids in schools, whether we're providing it through Zoom directly from their class or through their homes, um, and as well as wellness trainings. We provide a training called Live Your Life Well that goes through a series of, of, of um, tips in improving the our overall wellness, you know, and I think those types of presentations, which we started in May or, or April, I'm sorry, March, um, have been very well received. I think in the month of June, uh, we had almost 1,500 partic people participate in those online trainings, which is significant, you know, and there was a huge demand for it, which we were uh, a little bit surprised. And, you know, and I think uh, a lot of people are drawn to these wellness types of presentations that we've been doing, and we're going to continue to enhance those as well. And what about with the app? Do you, are you seeing a lot of traffic with the app too? We haven't. We haven't been seeing, seeing increased access with the app. Right now, it's only working on Apple devices. Uh, so we're working with the developer to get it improved on um, other devices outside of um, the, the Apple mainframe. Um, and we're also going to be uh, partnering with another organization to see if we can uh, increase the, the capability of the app. Right now, it's, it's, it's a very great resource center, but it's not as interactive as it can be. Uh, so we're trying to redesign that as well. And that takes time and money, of course. Um, but it's still up and running on Apple, and there's a website as well uh, that's still working. So with all these coming things that are happening, it seems like they're very technologically based, yeah. which might leave out a lot of kapuna who are not very comfortable with this. Absolutely. So do you have a different approach as you're working with other organizations or moving in the community both for advocacy and then you know, direct trainings uh, to be able to help with how we are helping our kapuna sure. deal with all of this? Absolutely. And we are, um, you know, one of the things that we did recently, we had this uh, printed newsletter that Mental Health America of Hawaii stopped about 10 years ago, cut interview, which we recently rekindled. We had our first um, edition released in June. And this was developed um, in great part for those who don't have access to the computer or um, who are isolated or don't feel comfortable using a phone or, or um, any type of device, you know, and, and this includes the Kapuna. Uh, so we, prevent, we, we printed those out. We sent about 4,000 by email and we printed about another 100. Uh, we're still getting requests for printed copies as well. Um, and we are also looking at um, getting our staff trained to provide the mental health first aid training for Kapuna. Uh, and we would reach those communities through direct mail campaigns because a lot of them don't have email. Um, a lot of them are, are, are even isolated, you know, they don't even have family and friends living with them. Um, and they are the greatest risk population, you know, so the more education that we can provide to this community, the better. MHA of Hawaii does a lot of advocacy when we are in session. We've had a very um, segmented session this year. Very. How do you assess how we came out of that from the mental health community? Um, I'm trying to be positive about it. I, I don't think it, <laughs> it, it was a very challenging session, you know, and it, it would, it's my first session in this role. 
Um, so in a way, I was really disappointed because I was looking forward to being an active participant in that, you know, and, 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 and again, in all honesty, advocacy, advocacy, we kind of put on the back burner um, when quarantine first started, because again, my priority was to make sure the agency remained whole. And there wasn't a whole lot to do anyway since the session had closed. Um, you know, we did as much as possible to partner with, with Sutter Health and, and some of our other partners who are actively providing advocacy and, 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 and things happen so quickly um, in a very shortened session that I don't feel like we were able to make as significant of an impact as, as we could have. Are you making plans already for next year? Absolutely, absolutely. And um, we're going to start providing advocacy trainings for our staff as well as um, opening something up for our general community members. We're hoping to record uh, advocacy 101 type training so that we can get more consumers engaged in the process because I think their voice is going to matter so much more than ours um, in, in coming sessions. And when you say consumers, you're meaning specifically mental health consumers as opposed to the general public. Absolutely, mental health consumers and their friends and family and supporters. We've been talking a lot about the organization. We've been talking a lot about how you see it going forward. How about you? Oh, you've had some significant acquaintance with anxiety. How are you coping with all of this now? It's, it's been a challenge, you know, and, and um, I was joking earlier about when the pandemic first started, um, we were told that we have to stay home and, and avoid people. And I was like, what? It's like a dream come true. Um, <laughs> stay home and avoid people. Um, because that's what people with anxiety struggle with, you know, is being social and being out in the public eye and, and whatnot. Um, but to be honest, Bethan, my, my anxieties were not related to the virus at all. They were related primarily to keeping my staff employed. You know, it was a very new job for me at the time. And, and, um, um, that's all. So in a way, that was a very good distraction for me in helping me cope with my personal anxieties. And, and, and I've struggled with anxiety since a child. Um, and, you know, coming out through this, this whole pandemic, it's, it's I, I can see how anxiety can be so debilitating for others, you know, and, and the message for COVID has been um, stay home, avoid people, wash your hand. I mean, it's very inconsistent with typical therapies that most people would have if they're struggling with anxiety or social phobia or agoraphobia or even obsessive compulsive disorder where someone might obsessively wash their hands. They could be very successful in, in reducing that. And now they're all of a sudden they're told to wash your hands obsessively, <laughs> you know? So, um, so it's, 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 We've, I've been talking a lot with a lot of friends. I have a lot of a network of people who who struggle with anxiety, and and for a lot of people, the the virus has been the less anxious provoking thing. It, it's more the residual effects of the virus, of so the social climate, um, the economy. A lot of people have lost jobs and been laid off, and as you know, um, the worse the worse or the economy becomes, the higher rates of suicides we see. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think, um, you know, and, and, and there are a lot of people who are going through the pandemic right now who may not have a diagnosed anxiety disorder who probably will in, in the future as a result of what they're going through, like we spoke earlier. You speak pretty honestly about how you have been approaching this. And personally, it seems like this is refocusing some of your anxiety, but it doesn't mean that the other part of it went away. It's just what you were paying attention to because exactly. you thought you had to. So 
as all of this continues on, Brian, what do you say to other people who are also focusing on what they have to, their economic situation or a family situation or, or other situations that are also high anxiety provoking, but also are on top of that general continuing anxiety that you have felt since you were a child. What, what are you and your group of friends doing with that and how do you advise other people? Um, I, I think the thing that's been most successful for me, Bethan, was to remember to breathe and to reach out for help when needed. I think when people with anxiety disorders are kind of like in a response mode, and that's kind of how I describe what I'm going through is, is focusing on, on keeping everything whole as opposed to dealing with your own anxieties. It's kind of like a distraction. It's a very healthy distraction, I think. But I think there's also a risk for when things start to calm down for um, additional anxieties to set in. So I think reaching out for help is probably the most important thing. And, and for a lot of people who have anxiety disorders, um, breathing, we forget to breathe quite often. Even if you don't have an anxiety disorder, I, I'm sure a lot of people realize, oh, I forgot mm -hmm. to breathe. Um, you know, and I, I find that just taking a really intense, deep breath and spending just a couple of minutes focusing on that breath. Um, some people call it mindfulness and, and redirecting those energies and, and, and taking some time to realize what am I actually afraid of? What's causing this anxiety? You know, and for people who have not experienced an anxiety disorder, it's really hard for them to interact with someone who is experiencing an anxiety disorder because they don't really understand that it can be incredibly debilitating, you know, uh, for people with anxiety, their thought process is very different and they manifest those thoughts in a very physical way. You know, I think um, when we reach out to friends and, and, and so forth, our friends are, are often quick to say, um, oh, just calm down, you're relaxed, nothing to worry about. But to me, that's the same thing as telling someone who's having an asthma attack, oh, just breathe, but they can't, right. they can't calm down, you know, and I, I think a lot of people don't understand that. They don't realize how much of an impact anxiety has, you know, because with speaking of memes, there's a lot of memes about anxiety and most of them I find incredibly funny, um, but it, it, it just speaks to a community who doesn't really understand anxiety as a clinical disorder. You know, they see it as a behavioral thing, which it is, it is, right. but... Um, it's, it's just, it's far more critical and intense than I think the general community realizes. I think if there's one lesson that a lot of people would be well to take away, it's just that when someone is having an anxiety attack or someone mm -hmm. who is really agitated, saying the words calm down only inflames someone more Absolutely. or makes them feel far more uh, powerless uh, to do anything about it and and that's especially you know with with children with adults that was a really important lesson for me to learn a while ago i mean not saying the words calm down yeah, yeah. well the intentions that, are that's, well. that's a natural thing right that, that that's yeah. what people think that they're supposed to say yeah. as opposed to what they really need to be saying and maybe that's also some other training that all of us would do well to Absolutely. to have to understand what is it you should say to somebody who's having an anxiety attack or to a child when they're feeling highly anxious, not, you know, oh, it's, it's okay, you'll get over it. I mean, all those little pat phrases, it's pablum, it doesn't mean anything and yeah. it doesn't help the situation. And for a lot of people who are anxious, I think, you know, just watching them 
and having been around a lot of people who are anxious and dealing with real anxiety yeah. attacks of it's even hard for them to reach out and say, I need help with this. So yeah, the and fact I think that, that's part of the reason they don't yeah. because of the right. responses that they would get. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Well, you. you've done very well. Thank and you. I want to thank you for all the time that you were able to spend with us this morning on a Saturday in the middle of July as we're looking at heaven knows how many more months of, of dealing with this in these very active ways. Certainly masking and distancing will be part of our, our lifestyle for a very, very long time. Um, nice to know that there are some good trials with, with the vaccines, but who knows how those will actually play out. We don't really know what the efficacy of that may be. And hearing from... Mm -hmm. There's some studies that maybe people develop antibodies, but they don't necessarily stay long-term. Yeah. All these things that are, are helping to fuel a lot of anxiety. I think the bottom line is mm -hmm. breathe, do what you can do, and, and focus on the people who can help you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Beth Ann. I've loved this series. It's, it's been wonderful. You folks are doing an amazing job. Well, thank you. And it's been a pleasure to be able to sit down and actually talk to you for yes. a little while too, Brian. So Absolutely. Thank you and, Same here. And all the best with Mental Health America of Hawaii. We're, we're counting on you. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Aloha. Aloha. And to all of you who joined us today, we hope you'll plan to join us again next week as we have another conversation to take us from anxiety to clarity. And if you have a suggestion for a topic or if you have a question, I know Brian would be very happy to answer that for you. And we'll send that on to Mental Health America. We'll find the appropriate answer for you. In any way, you can just send it to me. My address is causelovev, that's K-O-Z as in zebra, L-O-V as in Victor, B as in boy, at sutterhealth.org, causelovev at sutterhealth.org. I hope you have a good week and we'll talk to you again next Saturday for another conversation from anxiety to clarity. Aloha.